to another episode of Money for Nothing. We're live in Brooklyn together, uh, back in Sam's living room at an unknown location, which we will not tell you. And today's episode is going to be a little bit freewheeling. We're going to cover a number of topics. But before we do that, we just want to remind everybody that we do want to do an end of year mailbag episode. So if you've not emailed us, please do so at money for nothing podcast at gmail.com yeah send us any kind of questions we'll pretty much answer anything you send us uh what do you want to know let us know or like things you don't want to know yeah. just give us topics not to talk about and then we promise not to talk about them yeah what, what should we not talk about like how like what, what what are we doing like absolutely terribly that you don't want to ever hear us talk about again you don't want us NFTs. ever 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 <laughs> we don't really talk that much about nfts thank god so, yeah, we're on god. strike against yeah, yeah. i'm on strike against talking about nfts but now that makes me want to ask you like why no i'm just kidding uh, <laughs> we don't need to get into that we don't need to get into that um it's just all about web three point bro right whoa whoa what a name i love it that's good web three point bro what <laughs> did you just did you just riff on that did you yeah, just go, yeah 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 it's off the dumb that was pretty good it's pretty good i uh, i would say i'll be here all week but this is where i work so i'm, yeah. I'm literally here every single week yeah in your office right in your in your living Type room slash office. Yeah, yeah um i would say we should probably start on a more somber note and this has been a rough fucking week when it comes to like losing some pretty just amazing legend after legend yeah, yeah. We lost uh, Greg Tate, who's one of the best music writers to ever, like, lift pen to paper. <laughs> uh, the, 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 like, verbal dexterity and, like, tonal precision and, like, ability to jump between the headiest of riffs and the most like minute specificities of like culture and musical history and the incredible um capaciousness of his like listening and reading and writing just made him an absolutely unparalleled force in music criticism and just one that was incredibly important for the um for i guess like the, the 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 cultural scene of New York City and and for the the kind of evolution of hip hop criticism and like is a presence who will definitely definitely be missed. Yeah, no, I mean when you say presence, like I mean Greg Tate, I think really made it, made his name writing for the Village Voice in this sort of like heyday, I'd say like in a sense or a certain heyday. Village Voice might have had a couple heydays, but I think it was kind of like '90s into the 2000s. But the cool thing was is that he would pretty much accept anybody as a Facebook friend. It seems like. Uh, and he would post like hot takes on Facebook also like m more than once a day sometimes. And like those hot takes were like just like, you know, rattled off the top of his dome were probably like some of like the best takes you could read like on the Internet. And it was like he just rattled it off as like a Facebook status. And I, I mean, it's been years since I've really engaged with Facebook, but uh I still have my account, and every now and then I'd like to sign back in for whatever reason, find an old photo or something, and then like a Greg Tate status update would pop up, and I'm like, this is like a good reason to like still be on Facebook. I mean, it's like it was absolutely amazing, and I, I don't know, if, yeah, he, I actually Facebook has the as microblogging, right? Yeah, like, right, and exactly. It's, true. it's yeah. a functionality you don't get. Like you can get a Twitter thread, but then like you're making this big declarative thing in the world, and there's like a the weird spatialization of it, like. There is a very specific use of Facebook, I think, for like medium, like like seven hundred and fifty word off the cuff semi 
like like you know like uh, semi transient thoughts. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, like it, it's just interesting that you know Tate, who was an employed journalist writer, was just kind of like offering us these little morsels, kind of like almost pulling back the curtain to see how like the brain works, and it was like, oh wow, like you just riff on this shit. But I think that the the, the thing that I'll, I'll say, I'll say a couple of, a couple of things about Tate. I mean, first of all. The one thing about Tate that I also really love, and you kind of mentioned it, is that he really, that really combination of like, it wasn't just like straight musical criticism. He was like constantly considering some of the things that we consider here on Money for Nothing, you know, like the political economy, the culture, you know, where it sits historically. But it was also like done with just such like fucking style. Such like the guy a could good, fucking write. He's such a good writer. It's, he's, he's such like, unbelievable you know and there's i saw that like uh you know in the kind of like memoriams people are like he had like less fewer direct imitators given his influence because it was just so hard to even begin to figure out how to write with like that level of authorial presence yeah no totally i mean i think that it's pretty easy to say regardless of your opinions out there of like Lester Bangs that like he has like uh you know a, Greg a, Tate's a better writer yeah well, no no whatever said that's what I was gonna say is that like like you have like a thou- like thousands and thousands upon thousands of people who are basically like Lester Bang imitators maybe even better than Lester Bangs but like maybe the thing also is you're saying about Greg Tate yeah exactly what you just said it's like maybe Greg Tate has less because he's he was the type of writer that when you read his shit you're like man I can't really write yeah I <laughs> yeah. can't write yeah you're, you're like you're like sure why don't I even try to yeah. do any writing right like yeah. shit yeah and it's I think it's interesting too like I th- and like I I mean I have a lot of probably like pretty critical negative opinions about music criticism and per- current its current state but I, but I will say that it does worry me or like it just it you know does bother me when like like a legend at least in my eyes like Greg Tate, you know, now that he's gone, it's like, where do those articles go? You know, the like village voice folded and like, you know, he does have like a reader. He's you got, know. he's got two collections, but I think, yeah. Or, or let's be, where do those Facebook statuses go? Where do those Facebook statuses go? Somebody collect those. So sure. on that, like the, the sad, the combination of like sad news and cultural entropy, the next like in memoriam we're doing is Robbie Shakespeare. So Robbie Shakespeare was uh, one part of the production duo Sly and Robbie. Sly Dunbar played drums. Robbie Shakespeare was a bass player. And it's kind of almost unfathomable how this duo, like, like how much music this duo I, contributed to. I think to. that they have, like... Oh, yeah, you in, told me this in, once, yeah. In, like, a... I did some, like, raw count. I forget exactly years how ago. I did this. Years yeah. and years and years ago. Um, I had like the, the incredible privilege to meet uh, Sly uh, when they played a show at what ter- was it Terminal Five? Yeah, Terminal Five. I'd say about six, seven years ago now. And yeah. like, and like a- an outside set at at Metro Tech, right? That's <laughs> which was amazing. Twice I in saw one him, day. Oh yeah, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I'm gonna go see Ro- Sly Robbie every chance I I can today, and and I think it's like their production has been on well north. Of ten thousand songs, <laughs> yeah, right, right, and I mean, I, I think, I mean, and it like it totally runs the gamut. Like, I, like last night we were talking about like, okay, we, we should we should say like you know they come out of like the classic era of Jamaican reggae, so like mid seventies, and I, I'll, I'm going to touch on that in a minute. But I mean, just the breadth of like music they've like of people they've worked with. Like, I know this. You've told me that they've worked on over ten thousand songs, probably even way, way more. But I was like. 
what song did they do with Britney Spears? <laughs> you know, they also like, they produced that that No Doubt album, which yeah, is one of the best, right, one of my right. favorite ever pop pop records. Right. Is No Doubt's Rocksteady? Yeah. Um, I remember being like an eleven or twelve, like an eleven year old child, and hearing Bounty Killer on the radio <laughs> because they got Bounty Killer to be on the right, cor- right. Uh, on like the verse of that song, and just being like, what what is this yeah 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 and like so i mean i mean like run the gamut it's like a rolling stones bob dylan but then also like you know in innumerable amounts of like classic reggae records that you know you've probably like heard and yeah it's just absolutely amazing but i think that the interesting thing and like looking at you know robbie shakespeare's uh life is that how thinking thinking about how essentially a poor Jamaican he was able with him and his friend able to like reach the heights of success and demand that they did without going into like a massive history of like the Jamaican music, a popular Jamaican music and how it like uh, got, you know, got transmitted outside of the Island and, and, you know, to the West. It's interesting to think about the avenues that opened up that would like allow Sly and Robbie to even like reach the like heights that they did and like what contributed to that. You know, because if you think about the time, like, I mean, you know, Jamaica was like independent, like, like early 60s. And I mean, was like, you know, very poor, politically unstable. And the studios were like totally makeshift. I mean, like we've traveled to Jamaica before and we've done like some work there for like Afropop Worldwide. And I mean, like I like go into like King Jammy's studio and he's like, oh, yeah, this is where the bass player would like play. And it'd be like the size of like a Chinatown apartment bathroom. And you're like, what? <laughs> and, you know, and they're just making these like amazing records. And to so, like go from this sort of like really underdeveloped country and city where everything's kind of like makeshift, use what you can secondhand and to like reach the heights that they did. It's, it's just, it's just interesting to think about like how that was even able to happen. And like controversially awkwardly, you know, there is a sort of like globalization aspect to that and like a kind of free market aspect to that. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it's, that's an interesting point. I mean, no, it, it's complicated. I mean, it's also about the, like the development of a domestic music industry. And, and this is something that we talk about yeah. a, a, a lot in different ways in the show about like cultural ecology almost. Right. Mm. And like the, the, the different kind th- or thinking about economies kind of like ecologies, right. That there are more or less extractive economies. There's more or less nurturing economies, but that if you set up like a system correctly more or less or, or the system develops in a way that enables the kind of retention of information uh multi-generational like like kind of like apprenticeship so you come up right like sly and robbie come up within a like was tutored by like like family man like marley's the the the, the, yeah, the rhythm group, section yeah. of the whalers or the second whalers rhythm right. section rather right so you have like a mentorship program you've got like not an official one but like you've got these like cultural flows you've got a music industry where it's like there's a lot of production for the domestic market so that you can yeah. get on some singles very cottage and like that, community who you know you know yeah and, and when that allows you know this you know these sounds and these sonic innovations to develop that like really end up structuring how modern pop music functions overall and like if you think about like modern pop music as at one level a production of like <laughs> a derivation of you know like Giorgio, Giorgio Moroder uh digital 
production, which is actually something we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. The other version is like the uh, another major influence is like digital dance hall and the way that they're making electronic beats underneath pop music. And the influence of that on global music is incalculable. And a fair bit of that is Sly and Robbie and their their production um, on just like a swath, a vast swath of 80s dance hall songs right but you know i guess i'm just like trying to think about just like the ways they're even able to get that to like a global on a global scale and like oftentimes like people like have this narrative that like oh you know marley paved the way for like other jamaican musicians but it's like marley paved the way on the back of like a basically a very creative innovative capitalist in the name of like chris blackwell and then also on the back of like a sort of marketing scheme which which had a lot of white listeners mainly you know and like in yeah the, we, we in talk the UK, about this yeah. we talk about this in our um our episode about posthumous albums about the the, right. the, the, the construction of that legend best of right right and then like, that's kind of like how like Sly and Robbie like, kind of like are able to find a path because you have producers who are like western coming and like trying to find these people well, like, also I, I i thought the other thing that they interesting do, you know it's, it's like, for, for their career in particular is also this is the complexities of the black atlantic right right because totally. they i think that they're like one of the big steps or milestones of their career is is playing with black uhuru which is a kind of digital slash roots reggae band and the importance and the centrality of like the access to the uk reggae scene is also a really important part of this story that like given the level of success and influence that slime robbie had that while like this globalized music economy um allowed them to have access to the heights of you know the pop and rock music community i mean like the infidels which is the, the the album they cut as part of uh, the Dylan's backing band, just released, just received like the super deluxe four CD every outtake set. So you know that, that level of access. Like the question is, the same system that provided them with that level of access, did it then also create that kind of like extractive dynamics and contracts and the ability to create your own projects and the ability to pull people up? Right. Like my sense is there hired guns on that album yeah yeah, and i'm sure they're being paid well for that but like to what extent did they get the the proper number of points on everything to what extent were they able to like create the kinds of infrastructure that's necessary to build long-term like financial and musical success coming from that position within jamaica like i don't know but my gut is given how influential and how important they were like had they come from a, a a different part of the global music economy, like again, like say Nashville, like they would have had a studio. I mean, like they would have had yeah. a, a, a a publishing company that, like, they right, would have been able so. to, like, you know. I mean, and look, they do have a label, right? They've got Taxi Records, and they put out a <laughs> go, go to Spotify, and just like the amount of Taxi Records there is is insane. But check um, out that Taxi Christmas record. Yeah, with Bears Hammond, man. It's great. Uh, But yeah, so I mean, it just, I think that that's also part of that, like, access, but also there's still hierarchies within that globalized music industry. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I was speaking to the tension, really. You know, like, what paved the road for their success is also what's probably exploiting them. (laughs) 
so moving on to something else we wanted to talk about for this episode, Spotify Wrapped. It's a fun. It's a festive. It's a. Uh, it's like it's the, what we all look forward to at the end of the year, and then we post it on Instagram. It's so much fun, dude. It just reminds you that Santa Claus is also surveillance capitalism. <laughs> I mean, like kind of like a double. It's kind of like a double whammy of surveillance capitalism, right? Because like that's how they like they get they get all the information of surveillance capitalism, and then you go and post it on Instagram. I mean, I don't post it on Instagram. You don't post it on Instagram. Are you even on Instagram? TV I'm TV? like not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Sam, like I, I gotta I I I'm, I'm gonna know your take on 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 Spotify rap because, I mean, I agree with the sort of general consensus that yeah, surveillance capitalism. It's free advertising for Spotify. I don't know if this is fact, but I was recently told, so don't hold it to me, that the person at Spotify who invented the idea of Spotify Wrapped was an intern, and it was like her presentation on her way out. But like, so all these things, like you know, fuck Spotify and uh, yada yada yada. But like, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are because, uh, and like, I have a little, it's a little bit more complex. But like, just to start, just to like start with, I feel like, like this is a trap. No, I'm no, watching no. your face <laughs> and watching. Like, I'm watching your face and watching this be a trap. Okay, well, I'm just going to say... <laughs> Let me think what your thoughts I'll are. Say, I mean, it's kind of fucking cool. Or, like, at least it feels good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I yeah, think yeah, that, yeah. like... I, Why? I, Why? It's well, so much to talk about. Yeah, yeah, no, no. And I think that it, I think that it's really important and, like, digging into thinking about that yeah. is, like, useful for understanding the complexities of this digital moment that we live in i mean totally on so many different levels that go like even like way beyond music for sure for sure so like for one right there's something pleasurable about being known about mm. like about being known about oh, yeah. being being analyzed this is like a freudian about, this is a freudian episode <laughs> uh, about about like right we live in this world in which Data's constantly being produced and we're constantly being uh, told about it kind of at a remove, right? This is, you know, we, we see like algorithms shifting stuff and then we're also told stuff about data analysis at kind of a remove from our individual existence. And and that's often because it's, it's by definition, right? It's big data, right? So it, right. it's pulling data from a wide variety of sources, collating it, using a variety of techniques to like, figure out what it means and this is that same set of tools used at an individual personal level so watching your life turned into data in a way that i feel like makes maybe those broader systems of data feel knowable and feel like um feel knowable feel graspable i mean i am not like a like fitbit or like sleep like timer person and they're all these oh, personal health I don't know about that one. they're all these like personal <laughs> personal health apps yeah yeah but like people I mean, there's one on your iphone I mean, it tells you how many steps you take a day yeah yeah, yeah. but like there's ones that are really detailed no, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. and people really like them and i think that part of it's like self-knowledge and it's interesting to see like you know everyone's experiences of themselves are like <laughs> the, the definition of subjective and so and you know people's relationships to each other externally is also like a complicated mixture of it this really is getting freudian um you know a complicated mixture of like projection and interlocutor and all this stuff Conditioning but 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 being able to see like in raw numbers the way that you're interacting with a major cultural form i feel like there's something like 
Like there's like a vertiginous pleasure there, dude. Oh yeah, no, totally. And I think yeah, I think I really love that. Yeah, because it's nice to have something that's like kind of concrete, right? Where you're like, oh, like this is like the the song or like the record that like I listen to most. But I do think that the, the interesting point about what you just said is like the cultural form, right? And I think that it plays into, I think something maybe a lot of us have experienced and like continue to see happen, you know, uh, with younger people or like even ourselves, which is like so much of our identity can so easily be wrapped up in like how we consume right and like you know the genre of like music that you're like that you're into will like play a role in like the clothes you buy or like the like your slang or like it says like where you live or like all these different things and like i mean that desire to sort of like attach ourselves to these sort of like to attach ourselves to these like scenes or these cultures or these like genres of music. Yeah. I mean, that's like a whole thing that we can explore if we want, but in a weird way, Spotify it wrapped definitely plays into that sort of tendency that we do see. And the reason for that, I mean, you know, we can, we can pontificate or we can explore and talk about it if we want, but like it is something in society where people do gravitate towards like attaching themselves and their identity, at least externally on social media and maybe it's exasperated by social media, you know, to these styles and to these forms of music. And by like Spotify Wrapped, it's kind of like it either like in a weird way helps you define it, or in a weird way like it plays into it, or it or, like. Or I would I would even say that like it's like cultural cachet too. Do it, it, you know? Well, there's another How thing. Obscure is your record. Well, <laughs> it, 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 it's also I feel like this funny thing though, but like a lot of what you're saying about the ways in which people define and identify themselves in relationship to music consumption. Like at one level, that's like a, 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 you know, the importance of this like mediating force that is the market in the establishment and construction of identity. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, there's still this like more holistic, more gestalty element of it. Right. In that, like you can buy the shoes but you still need to actually pull them off in an outfit and to pull them off in an outfit. It requires you to like be around other people. So there is this funny thing with Spotify wrapped where in some ways it's like, they're taking all of the kind of like, I'm a punk, I'm an emo kid where like, that's what I'm listening to. But then like for that to be meaningful, I need to be attached in an imaginary way or in a real way to an actual scene. And it's just saying like, bop, you're in this category, bop, you're in that category. And saying like, just by pure numbers, based on their cultural constructs of like what this kind of band is, what that kind of band is, they put you in that. And that, that then is like, so it's like this almost like short circuit of the kinds of meaning construction, identity construction. I think you were talking about. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is the difference is, is that instead of being attached to any kind of community, it's being done through like numbers and like sort of this kind of what we've spoken to before about the sort of like financialization of like culture in the sense that like I'm being put into this category based on the amount of listens and so, and, like, and so all of a sudden now that's given like this value and somehow attaching me to this like culture. So yeah, so there's like two things. And in doing so, as you said, like replacing community. Yeah, and, and I think there's like two things I think about and this is like kind of the darker part for me at least like of what you might call like wrapped culture. <laughs> so like the darker part for me is like on one level, right? Like you were saying, there's there's as I think worth going into a little bit more is like the financialization or the datification. And I don't really know yeah. where one begins and one ends uh -huh. of our relationship to culture, right? That in 
you know, thinking about like modern stand culture and the ways in which groups come together in order to like push a song to number one or like, and it's this very numerically focused way of judging cultural or artistic impact. And it's not even like, oh, we sold a lot of records or they sold out the shows. It's like, no, no, we want to see the raw number as if like that number has meaning and as if cultural achievements are are, are, are fungible at their depths, right? right, right, right. And it, that strikes me, and we've talked about this in previous shows, is like to me, that can't not be at least at some level related to what you could call like the financialization of life in like what I don't want to call it late stage capitalism because like I'm not that optimistic to whatever stage of capitalism we're in, right? Where where more and more things are connected to the market, more and more things are connected to numbers, more and more numbers are the way to judge things with like the sudden and terrifying flexibility and flow of capital across a globalized economy. That that ability to, to compare things by numbers is right. the crucial thing that enables that, that enables stuff to pull out of one place and go to another place. And that if that's kind of the bro- one element of like the engine of our modern political economy, like that can't be entirely absent from the other parts of how culture and society are operating. And so, and that's, pro- I, I, I couldn't even begin to like do more than gesture to like the various avenues through which like you pull on one part of the spider web and a different part of the spider web over here, like jiggles, but like, I feel like it's gotta be that it is connected and that this is another indicator of like a broader like ideological or like hegemonic shift in the way we're thinking about human existence. I mean the, yeah, I mean the shift I feel like the shift is here, you know. I mean it's always like I mean it's it's all about like numbers and like data and like how much you've done in something and like, you know, the amount of it. And I mean, it's interesting cuz and the amount of it. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And then I think I think that an interesting thing I just thought of like it actually that could be in conflict with kind of what I said earlier in the sense because if the most listens is like whatever some record but that isn't my favorite record now all of a sudden I'm like wait do I not know myself (laughs) or like what is like now I'm in conflict that this datification of like my habits is in conflict with like my own subjective understanding of myself well so yes that was that was what I wanted like the other point that I think that is really fascinating and kind of um, sorry to beat you to it <laughs> is it, no 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 it's like it's really fascinating about this right and gets you at some of the the, the kind of frayed edges of this cultural construct yeah, right yeah. like how is a listen or the most defined it's defined by the way Spotify defines plays it's oh, yeah, not that, yeah. it's not the most meaningful plays right because right. if you think about your year in music like the one time you listened to that album when you were driving in the car with your girlfriend and you had a fight but then you listened to the album and it was really pretty and you were in western I'm making this up but uh-huh, like sure yeah so this happened earlier this summer with Sam no, yeah. <laughs> no right so like plays and total minute a there's like a couple different ways of um indicating plays right like there's a number of plays your number one song but there's also artists and they count that one in a funny way by number of minutes you've spent listening to them total which is a totally different metric subtly than that's sort of more user-centric. That's not pro rata. That's like more user-centric streaming, right? right? Like if you listen to a Mozart piece, 
and it's 60 minutes long. That's going to be your top artist, probably. It's going to be your top <laughs> artist, but it's not going to be your top song because you you didn't listen to it. You know, you yeah. could listen to it 10 times, and that's 600 minutes of music, yeah. but it's only 10 plays where, right. uh, you know, the you know, a driver's license right. is 245 or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, but but it just it like it reflects the ways in which. You know, it's almost like a, a an imminent critique, right? Like the ways that they're choosing, and like you're saying, the kind of disjunct that people have, almost like reflects within the wrapped format the artificiality of <laughs> the ways that they're trying to construct, the ways they're trying to project social meaning from their data because yeah, it raw data. because yeah. because it because it un, like uh, uh, unveils the ways in which they're using a specific set of like um decisions that are not within the data that are outside the data yeah, to definitely. structure that data and then provide it meaning and like you're saying like it's weird when you see like what what is this genre that's you know i don't know a lot of people were like upset that Midwest emo is not a real genre. I'm like, I thought, I'm pretty sure Midwest emo is a real genre. <laughs> um, but you know, like, yeah, that there's this this uh, bright eyes. Anyone? There's that. There's that 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 disjunct, um, and like it reflects like the very constructedness of the thing they're trying to naturalize. Yeah, and and going on and riffing off of that, it's also like you have to also take into consideration, you know, the big bad, you know, algorithm as well, which is like, I what my top songs was a song that I discovered. Um, through the like Spotify like radio feature, which is like if you listen to an album or you listen to a playlist you made, it like keeps playing, right? So then like I put it on a playlist because I liked it, but then like every time I'd listen to another playlist that it wasn't on, it would serve me that song because it knows I liked it and like put it on a playlist or like however the fucking algorithm works. I don't know, but it's like that's also contributing. So you're like, wait a minute, how much of this is like actually like my decision to like press play on something and how much of this is like something that I was just like served? So it's like not only is it like they're taking this like raw data, subjectivizing it into like what 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 subjectivizing it into some sort of like meaning in which we, we then consume, right? But it's also like that data is also part of algorithms and the and also the the way in which I interact with this platform, which yeah, are kind of like totally. out of my, my control as well. So I, I've got a question for you, Saxon. Uh -huh. One of the things that I was thinking about though that that's interesting about Spotify Wrapped. And this kind of goes uh, back to a set of conversations that we've had a bunch of times is like the way that it decontextualizes music listening. And, you know, it's this funny thing, right? We were talking uh, about the year end lists, which have all appeared. And like, I'm fascinated by like your thoughts on the difference between what does it mean that I feel like people's Spotify raps are replacing like people being like these are my top five albums this year i'm a make-believe critic they're like these are the top five artists i've listened to the most this year only some of which are going to be new albums many of which are going to be functioning a totally i mean do you think that like reflects a i don't know another uh, another indicator of the way that like the way we're, we're engaging with music functions that's a leading question <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, th I think that it plays into like everything that we're saying, basically, like everything, everything that we've been like saying beforehand. We're like, once again, it's like we're now giving value less to say like gatekeeper journalists and like what they're like 
critical filter is telling us are like the best records and more concerned with like our own listening habits as like defining like what our favorite records are now i don't hmm. know and, 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 and like, like algorithmically assisted algorithmically assisted, assisted to do so it's right exactly. that's fascinating yeah but and i and i don't know how like and once again like i think this is where maybe i step back from the more maybe like paranoia around surveillance capitalism in that like i don't know how many people are actually taking this data the spotify raptor they're getting at the end of the year and then like using that to then define like what their favorite records are or like whatever their favorite genre is or like the, their like listening habits like go from then there on out right but i mean you still can't remove the fact that like yeah, it's algorithmic assisted and we're like using this platform. And so therefore that's dictating like our listening, our, our listening habits on some, in some way. And so it's certainly shifting it. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think that like, you have to question things like, you know, if you're like, oh, I want to hear new music or I want to hear a new record. It's like, are you just going to your Spotify homepage and like listening to like what they're servicing you? Cause there's all these different options. Check out this playlist, check out this like genre, like re-listen to this record, like blah, 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 blah. Or are you like, going out a record company like a record store you're like looking at a pitchfork like whatever it may be right like this is contributing and shaping like how we listen to music now yeah, yeah. though i mean like i i do think that, that that's important to note that that there is that kind of like um again like surveillance capital like doom and gloom approach like this is a new thing that something is watching and shaping how we're listening to music i'm like yeah have you heard of radio like this is not a news story yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah by yeah. any stretch of the imagination yeah i mean like tv we used to send out with like tv like nielsen ratings used to like send out like these like these like like uh letters that had these cards that would like ask people to like record like the stuff that they were the, the write down like you know how many hours and like what television shows they were they were watching and then they like sent them back and i don't know they got like a discount to like i don't know ross dress or less or some shit i don't know if they got any like incentive actually i don't even think they even did get any no everyone likes everyone wants to tell their story yeah exactly 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 you know and that's an interesting aspect that they're playing into though is that like it's like they make it immediately accessible to like post it to instagram or like whatever yeah i mean it, it also though just like a, a kind of final thought on on on, on rap though uh, again is it it points me to like the ultimate black box <laughs> of musical meaning right yeah that yeah. that they've got clearly a lot of data based on music listening and you know and you can combine that i mean more or less effectively with new regulations with like they know our phones are next to each other. They know that like you played a song in a room where I was right. like, right. They're, they're like their ability to collect data at scale. They know that people like me and you listen to this kind of, right. But also that there's this like, and maybe it's going to change. And sometimes for certain systems it, 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 where they have like a fairly detailed three-dimensional portrait of you, it's quite good. But there is this funny thing where it's like, what is listening to a kind of music mean? Like I saw like um, just kind of scanning through like the critical or like people writing about Spotify raps in, in or this year's Spotify rap in, in prep for this conversation. And there was like, you know, one of those like terrible articles. That's just like a collection of tweets that the author found on the internet. I'm like, you're doing your job. I get it. You have seven of these to write today. <laughs> but, but it was a lot of people being like, you know, you know, you can lie to everyone, but you can't lie about like the music you're listening to or just like looking at this music, like just made me think about, you know, how depressed I was in February and March of this oh, year. Wow. And like, the thing is like, yes, it, it, I'm sure it reminds you of those things, but 
it also made me think of like it's not at all clear to me that like listening to american football means you're like a midwestern emo band, like means you're sad right or that like listening to dua lipa means you're happy or like that 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 that, that there's ultimately this like the remarkable complex beautiful wonderful thing about music is like the way it interacts with people and that chasm of like it, it strikes me that it's actually like harder than one would think and that certainly does not appear to me that like spotify wrapped has a particularly good way of dealing with this of like taking what songs you listen to when and turning that into what did music mean in your life this year but what's interesting is that like the listeners and the users of the platform are then taking that to then create a sort of narrative about them, who they are, their past and their listening, you know, listening habits. True. And, and once True. again, I don't know if like that's like, you know, I don't know if that's really new, to be honest with you, on a certain level, if back in the day when people would make you mixtapes, if their mixtapes were like all about like love and fucking then like that person's probably into you and i can go ahead and and, and you know see that and be like i think this person might be into you right does that make sense so it's not it's not totally different than like you know trying to like filter through the meaning of this music as like oh american football makes me sad this person must be sad right but it is interesting that's taking out this sort of like this sort of subjective individual experience of it and like the memory of it and like our understanding of like, you know, our lack of understanding of ourselves and then kind of be like, no, like I, I need something to grab a hold of. Oh, the Spotify wrapped or like Spotify is going to tell me exactly how I felt and like why I listened to all this and help me kind of understand something more about who I am and why I listen to music. And like that's I think the fact that like so kind of tying it all together, this set of data collected you know, and put together to make meaning, uh, which is subjective, how they do that, right? It's like to kind of almost arbitrary is like suddenly now becoming our source for like understanding all these things that we're talking about. Another thing I was thinking about is that, and I mean, this is this following up on some of the the, the like the the, the the writing about this, which is that you know Spotify has done a really canny thing. It's like the Starbucks Christmas cup. It's like part of our yeah. We all know it's a Christmas cup, Starbucks. Um, 
you know, that, that it's, it's really canny marketing thing. And, and it is, obviously, but it's also canny because I think of how it's positioning Spotify. So, so, so Spotify is like one of the dominant, it's definitely one of the biggest digital streaming platforms, right? You know, it, 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 it ain't, it ain't title. Sorry, Jay-Z. Um, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Beck. Is it? Who else is on that? Stage? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that stage, that is a fact. That I would love, I would love, love, love. Total side note, but please, like, let's do this. I would love to do like an episode that's just looking at that moment, like a play-by-play rewatching of the title launch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bonus twenty twenty two. It's coming at you. Prepare. Okay, so, but it's not necessarily as dominant in the way that people engage with music, mm-hmm. like full stop yeah youtube is still an ex- huge way that people engage with music twitch and twitch streaming as we uh we covered on, on a bonus episode but it's just like an increasingly major way that people are engaging with musical content tiktok is obviously a huge way that people are listening and engaging with music and it's, it's really interesting right that like spotify is in some ways like it's almost like an ideological play totally to like yeah. define a to define spotify as the thing that counts for what music listening is and yeah. those and, and other sources and your musical yeah. listening habits are being defined by what happens on spotify not what happens on like youtube or tiktok or like elsewhere but also i think going even a little deeper it's an ideological play to determine what th- what music is yeah, right for sure. it's saying that what music listening is is um is what happens on Spotify. It's when it's not with a video. It's when it's not on a social media platform. When it's not on a stationary bike of Peloton. It, wait, it's not on a stationary. <laughs> no, seriously. But like that's how people engage with music now. So it's this funny. Like it's a very like record industry old school way of of considering and defining what music listening is and what parts of music listening are real music listening. What parts of music listening constitute the self. And what parts of music listening don't. Because, like, I mean, I think that, like, what's interesting about that disjunct is that it indicates this this idea that we've been, like, talking about it as, you know, one of the major themes over, like, the whole show, which is that, like, what music is, is changing. And changing as a result of new technological developments, changing as a result of the new social environments in which it's being consumed and which is th- through which it's moving... Um, certainly, you know, our last uh, episode, we really talked about how uh, it seems like the labels are are positioning that as like the future of the music industry. Yeah, yeah that's for sure. And like, so it's this funny thing that like in some ways Spotify rap seems like a, like a like planting a flag against those new definitions of music. Right. Oh, yeah. Music yeah. isn't what you listen to on your Peloton. Music is what you stream through Spotify and it's also music is what you pick, not music what not what's fed to you algorithmically. And like that and that alone is what constitutes like your identity musically. And I mean maybe to to sort of uh, switch gears a little bit, but to riff off of that as well, if we talk about change, I think it's also where we're kind of doing politics in some way. So what I'm specifically <laughs> interested in like you uh, talking about Sam is that something else about this whole Spotify wrapped is that there's a contingency on social media that is for the last few years has been very against users posting their Spotify wrapped 
and the reason for that is that usually the reason for that that is usually expressed is that it's like free advertising for Spotify and Spotify exploits artists, yada yada yada. But the sort of irony of it is, and the sort of maybe the the the, the tension point is that the people that are saying don't post it, but definitely the people that are talking to you. I mean, most of these people are using Spotify, <laughs> and so I'm just curious, like, what you think about that? Because like to me, there's a. I mean, to me, it it, it seems almost like sort of silly that we would that we would consider it to be a like political gesture or like any kind of like moral ethical gesture to demand that people do not give free advertising for this platform in which we already are paying into and posting it on another privatized platform which is makes its money by serving us as us ads which we also engage with <laughs> and it just if you want to see how the needle shifts when it comes to like sort of what we consider to be political engagement. I mean, like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, it feels like a, it feels a little, feels like an empty performative political I mean, gesture to me. Is it like, I, I want to like, is it a, a gesture if you just don't do something? Is that, is that yeah. like a performance? So, like, is it a performance to just not do something? Like, yeah. is that right. No. And I think, I think that, no. So I think that, I think that right there I'm fine with, but it's this sort of, grandstanding it's the sort of soapboxing to like demand that people don't post it even though like we're all using it i don't know it's kind of like well i mean the analogy that i was like using the other day was like you know it's kind of like you know uh i don't know maybe like parents who like smoke weed but then like you know support dare you know <laughs> like it's like <laughs> it's like i mean what i don't know well, like, i mean it, it, it strikes me though that like some of the people not liking it it's like sure it's advertising and like getting tired of like or pushing back against what seem as like the, the commodification of music where it's like that like ship is not just as that ship sailed like that ship doesn't make any sense because like of course like it's all advertising at some level yeah no exactly and, yeah but, and, and and i think i've just a riff off of that like just maybe to add one more point maybe for, for you to speak about like me posting which I didn't, but like me posting my Spotify. You're allowed to. You I, didn't <laughs> listen to so much Grateful Dead. Well, I think, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For everything that we just talked about right now, I didn't. Because I'm like, what does this all mean? I don't know. Like, it's cool seeing these numbers, but I don't know what it means. But like, and I don't know if anybody else fucking cares. But like, you know, let's say I did. Like, it, there's no conflict between me posting my Spotify wrapped and like listening to Spotify and me also being a frequent, like, I don't know, consumer of my local record store or something. Yeah. No, I mean, what it strikes me though, is the real thing. And I, that, that, that point is exactly right. And, and it, it strikes me that then like, what's the actual beef there? I would assume, right. That what people are actually mad about is not that it's free advertising for Spotify, but that somehow, like, what makes people uneasy is the ways in which you seem like you're buying in to this ideology, like, buying into the fact that what Spotify tells you about yourself is a mean is meaningful is a meaningful indication of something about yourself, meaningful enough for you to share it with other people because it's some sort of accurate reflection almost like a, like a form of like very certain kind of like social analysis and that like what it reveals is is worth sharing and and what's funny about that right is that in some ways like i feel like that line of critique 
like buys into the idea that Spotify Wrapped is putting out from the get-go. It's saying that like what music I listen to exactly and what kinds of commercial products I consume does define my identity. And what I don't want is a company shaping how I do that. But like the problem is like you're saying it's like, yeah, but like <laughs> you're buying music. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Or like it's just a frustration, like how else am I gonna access my music without having to like spend like billions of dollars at like a fucking uh record store. But also like I think no, I think that's billions. <laughs> yeah, billions. Yeah. I just always Sorry, think about hundreds of dollars. I, I may have brought store. this I may have brought this guy up. There was a grad student when I was in college who just he told me one day that he just like wasn't listening to any more recorded music. He's like, I just I just listen to live music now. Like only like if I cannot see it live, I'm not I mean, I'm fine with that. That's I like That's I just cool. I've just been thinking I, I, like I mean extreme people. I like it. It's a little this is a little bit out of, you know in the weeds, but like I've just been thinking about that what that dude told me at that party for like the last like twelve years. <laughs> been un- I'm just like did he do it? Yeah, is he still only is listening he still- to live music? Yeah, yeah, no, and that's a great point. Not to mention that if you're publicly expressing uh, and telling people to not post about Spotify Wrapped, you're still talking about Spotify Wrapped on a social media platform, which is in itself free advertising. But also, kind of what you were just saying, you're kind of allowing the dominance and the importance that Spotify Wrapped or Spotify rather wants you to consider in its servicing of Spotify Wrapped to you. You're kind of letting that sort of like frame and con- and be the context of your argument yeah yeah well we'll go ahead and tie a bow on the episode there we hope you enjoyed this sort of freewheeling live in person money for nothing live from sam's uh like living room office space yeah so again uh like saxon said at the head of the show we are doing our very first um baby's first mailbag episode so questions queries burning thoughts hot takes cold takes room temperature takes send them our way money for nothing podcast at gmail.com or you could just hit us up on twitter um i'm at volume control 10 at saxonius music by bird language we'll see you all in two weeks end of the year Music